0: Welcome to the Byline Times podcast. The Byline Times, telling you what the papers don't say. If you like what you hear on this podcast, well, don't forget to subscribe to our monthly newspaper and read our website. We don't dance to the tune of any wealthy proprietor. It's people like you who fund our journalism, and we're very grateful. So just head to our website, bylinetimes.com. My name is Adrian Goldberg, and in this episode, I'm keen to explore one of the most exciting strands of the Byline Times, our Lives Matter, giving voice to people of colour who haven't been widely heard before. Byline Times editor Hardeep Matharu is with me, along with one of the contributors to the Our Lives Matter series, Pruthvi Kalosia. Hi Pruthvi, how are you doing? You're all right. Yeah, thanks for having us here to share our voice. You're a young journalist living in Bolton, Hardeep. Tell us why Byline Times wanted to commission the Our Lives Matter series.
1: Hi, Adrian. Hiya. Yes, so when we first set up Byline Times, we felt very strongly that the problems of misrepresentation you find with some of the mainstream media is a product of underrepresentation of diverse voices, so byline Times was always set up with the aim that it would be a platform to discuss diverse issues, the nuance that people of colour, people who are ethnic minorities, that their lives and the nuance of their lives, and really to, to to correct some of the misconceptions and the sort of very flawed discourse that is out there around issues such as race and identity, which I think once again, are very, very relevant to the times that we're living in. When George Floyd was died in America, and obviously it, the whole world reacted, and we had the Black Lives Matter movement, we were very conscious that we wanted to contribute to that in some way. And we thought, well, we have a newspaper, so why not do our bit in the small, bit, the small way that we can? And we put out a call for new, you know, new voices of colour. So journalists or people who are not journalists, don't have journalistic training, who haven't been widely published, but have interesting personal experiences or analysis on issues to do with racism and othering and identity. And it's a series where we really want to sort of work with writers over time. So it's not that the Our Lives Matter series is, is just about sort of identity and ethnic minority issues. We want our writers from this stream eventually you know, to write about all kinds of different topics. Because I, I think, you know, just being a minority shouldn't mean that you only write about that. But I do think that what Violent Times can offer through this series is something that you don't find elsewhere in the mainstream media, which is the nuance within the nuance. So the ethnic minority in black communities... There's, there's so much diversity within them. And I think we need to take that into account. And it's it, there's no, it's, no, it's not simple. There's lots of complexity. And it's messy. And it's, it, but, but that's what we need to learn more about, I think. And learning is something I think needs to run through the ethos of, of institutions, especially in the media. So as sort of, I think, minority myself and being the editor of the newspaper, I bring a certain... Uh, experience and background with me in a certain lens through which I look at issues. But then it's always about, well, how else can you learn? So Pruthi will tell us in a minute about the article that he wrote, the Our Lives Matter series. Um, And it was about the generational fears that hold uh, young Asian people back. And it was fantastic. It's an issue that I I know well, having studied law and then become a journalist and my parents are uh, immigrants. So it was, a, it was an issue that I take for granted, really, that, oh, yeah, of course, this is, this is the case. But again, it was like, well, do other people know that? And then within that, that learning that I got from editing the article. So in the piece, Pruthvi mentions a documentary from 1990 that Gurinder Chadha, who's a famous Asian-British director, famous for films like Ben Light Beckham, she actually created that documentary. And looking at all of these issues, she interviewed young Asians in in different parts of the country, asked some questions about you know how they see themselves, how they identify, and it's really really interesting. And it's available for free to watch on BFI Player. You know anyone can watch it. And the, the point being, I wouldn't have known about that 13 minute documentary if Prithvi hadn't mentioned it in his piece. So you know it's about always, you know, as editors. Uh, in media, those in positions of commissioning articles, we, all, we always need to be learning from those who actually have the experience and have interrogated these issues themselves. You know, it's almost like, you know, people in- interviewing themselves and what they think based on their experiences. And I think that's what the Our Lives Matter series offers.
0: Pruthvi, tell us why you wrote about the, the generational fears holding back young Asian people. What are those generational fears? What is, what is said to you as a young Asian man? So I wrote about something that's not really discussed about. Uh, when it comes
2: to diversity, people want to talk about how many people are working in a workplace, how many people there are on TV. But no one's really talks about how many people are actually going into these industries to create the programs, create the content themselves. So I talked about how generational fears such as lack of confidence in accepting your creativity or believing that you can actually make a living out of your own creativity is something that I touched on because it's an issue that stops a lot of South Asian people from actually achieving their dreams. And some of that is because when we say we're not being heard, we mean we aren't being understood in the workplace, people aren't getting where we come from. And it's not just about skin or equity, it's about actually understanding our story and what stops us from actually going into this
0: industry confidently, without any doubt. But what is holding people with your background then back from getting involved in the creative industries or journalism?
2: Compared to our white counterparts in the UK, where they've grown up in the UK, are used to the culture in the UK, and have had time to actually progress in their careers and have little changes around. Parents like mine and my grandparents have actually had to come into a new country, learn English, and get the first job that comes to them, which was labour work in the factories and things like that. So there wasn't much progress in accepting, accepting their creativity and actually going into an industry that makes them happy as well as earning. It was more of a, you know, start working, start earning and let's send our kids to school so they can have a better future. And then that little fear of, you know, not having not having enough money and not doing something that's a little iffy is still happening in our communities. It's not evident just because I'm saying a lot of us are accountants and doctors. It's evident because not many people like me and Hardeep actually talk about going into a creative field confidently.
0: That's interesting, though, isn't it, Deep? Because although there are well-meaning initiatives from organisations like the BBC to introduce more black and Asian young people into careers in journalism, if there is reluctance on the part of parents to encourage children to go down that route, or if young people themselves don't feel confident, then those initiatives aren't going to be entirely successful, to say the least.
1: Yeah, you're right about that, Adrian. I think it's, it's also like the different aspects of the sort of generational fears and, and the different types of pressures. So I think, you know, coming from an Asian minority community, it is all about sort of the, the larger family, if you like, you know, the, the community, the society in, in which you're living, in which sort of your occupation, your education, uh, your career path, who you get married to, (laughs) where you live or end up living. All of these things are traditionally sort of looked at through a communal lens. And I think it's two sides of that culture. Uh, On the one side, you have plenty of people, if you like, around to support you. I think there is a big sense of the family unit and the kind of desire to offer guidance to the younger generation and that they will then look out for the older generation. The other side of that coin is that it can be oppressive if you are growing up in a way in which sort of there's one eye always on what is that person going to think? What do they think of you? What is that person saying about me? So you've got all of those factors. And then you're already growing up in a way where industries such as journalism or acting or performance have not been put to you because they're not considered safe options. You know, and in many ways I identify with what is saying because our parents travelled across the world, came to different countries and gave up their lives and worked and you know just put food on the table so that we'd have the privilege one day of being, you know, talking in a podcast about these kinds of issues and how some of them create difficulties for us. But I think you're right, you know, and I think that's what Brooksy was saying in his article, that as you point out, Aldrin, there's that level of sort of, I think there is a push to increase uh, diversity within, within the media, the creative industries and different sectors. So I think that is going on and it's, that's really positive. I think it's the layer before that, as you say, and Brookley, that's what Brooksy was saying in his article, that if you don't take into account that more fundamental aspect, then you're not even going to have those people applying or going into it. But it's a very, I don't know. And again, I think it is like a cultural taboo, even to discuss these things, these notions that, you know, in some ways seem quite dark, you know, or, you know, I feel pressurized by the large community or my parents don't know about journalism. These things can sa- seem in one's mind, like sort of things you wouldn't really discuss. They seem a bit sort of, a bit, Pathetic in some ways but they're really not And I think that's what we're trying to say you know we, have, we need to have more conversations around these things otherwise they just get hidden and then you are stopped from doing the things you really want to do
0: Pruthi, I come from a working class background as you do and uh, you hear about journalists maybe working for three or six months on national newspapers, on internships. You live in Bolton in Greater Manchester and you were talking about working in the spa shop, which you do at the moment, uh, around your writing to sustain yourself. So this isn't just about race or skin colour, it's also about class as well, isn't it? Because if you had very wealthy parents, they'd be able to subsidise you to, to do all the writing that you liked, maybe travel to London if that's where you thought the big gigs were. But as it is, you're having to find your own way. I, th- I think maybe in the long run that might be better for you. But even so, nobody's opening those doors for you. You've got to open them yourself or maybe even kick them down in some circumstances.
2: 100%. And I think it's a two-way street. Not only does the actual person need to have the confidence to actually you know, make their dream come true, the actual dream needs to allow it and the person to just flourish and just be confident in themselves and yeah it is a class divide I think 100% a lot of people like me you know you got to work for a little bit of money to actually travel to places like London to actually get a place and move out and travel and you know get involved in things but when it comes to you know far off well wealthy people um kind of do have it easy so it is about money and class it's not you know a blind eye to that but it's just a way of working around it and knowing what you want and how that is going to happen.
0: I always find these debates around race and class quite interesting Hardy, because I hear people of colour, talking about difficulties that they encounter. And I would never pretend that I've had the kind of discrimination on my skin colour that people of colour have. It would be absurd of me to suggest that. But as someone who's got an identifiable regional accent, identifiable working-class accent, there are parts of our society which, certainly growing up, felt closed off to me. I thought, I will never get through those doors.
1: Hmm. Exactly. And I, you know, I, I think one of the things that we want to do with the Our Lives Matter series is represent, as I said, the, the diversity within the sort of diversity. Because I think a lot of these issues, as you say, there's an intersection between between different factors. So you've got race, you've got class, you've got sexuality, you've got all, all these different things. And I think each person's experience of their identity and their race and sort of uh, their experience in society because of that is is, is so, so personal in a way to them. And I think what we need to do is understand that that nuance more. So it's interesting because about a month, month and a half ago, I wrote an article for the Byline Times about uh, the Home Secretary, Prissy Patel. Um, and she, she had made these comments saying that Britain's not a racist country because I'm the Home Secretary, and I'm an ethnic minority. And so we don't have those same problems systemically. And she was very, you know, she's very vocal in the House of Commons, very emotionally talked about the racism that she had faced. And was making the comments to the Labour Party, that just because she felt that they thought she you didn't know, fit into their notion of what an ethnic minority should be. That that was a form of racism in itself. I found the whole issue really interesting, uh, mainly because I think even as an ethnic minority with a certain experience, Priti Patel cannot use her own success or her own you know experience to say that the issue structurally of racism doesn't exist in British society. Of course it does. You can't you know just having. That experience in itself of being a minority doesn't mean you understand all different types of othering or discrimination. And the other example I used was, I mean, I, it's interesting what you're saying about, you know, class and sort of how people perceive you. And, and I, so I have sort of auburn, reddish hair. I have very fair skin. I have freckles. People, a lot of the time, don't think I'm Indian or they think maybe one parent's Indian, both my parents Indian. And when I was younger, I had very kind of brighter hair, and I was very fair. And I've, t- I've been told by my parents that they were walking with me once in the high street in southeast London when we lived. And um, my dad was wearing his turban, he has a beard, and my mother was in a traditional chauvinist sort of Indian dress. And they were walking down the road, and a police officer came up to them, basically insinuating, you know, what are you doing with this white kid? You know, and I'm an ethnic minority. I'm a Punjabi woman, and yet my experience of my race and identity has been sort of being told that you know I'm quite white and I transcend race and class. Which, as one person put it, whereas my father, you know, talks about the racism he faced in Kenya with the color bar when he lived there under the British, and then coming here, he was just like, oh, of course, there was racism. There's racism in Britain, yes, but you just come, you come to accept that. That's just the way of life. So everyone has a different experience. I think it is the complexity of these different layers. As Prithvi was saying, it is about your background more holistically, your education, the kind of opportunities you've had to experience different things growing up. And but again, I just I'm, I'm even in the mainstream media and, you know, a lot of places, uh, publications are covering these issues, especially now in the wake of George Floyd. I'm still think personally, I think they're still missing that, these nuances.
0: What about your experience Prithvi then as a young man growing up in Greater Manchester that kind of overt racism that Hardeep referred to I would like to think has not been present in your life Thankfully I've
2: never really received direct racism where I've actually been called something so bad it's destroyed me but when it comes to microaggressions it really does add up to a feeling that you're not wanted and when it comes to, you know, people talking about your parents and joking about how they've come here and taken jobs. And it, it really does make you angry in thinking that it's not just a matter of taking jobs. They, they took the jobs that weren't wanted, made a living and give me opportunity, actually. So in a way, I'm more British than my own white counterparts because I've actually got a story behind me rather than just sitting at home and blaming everyone for your own issues. It's, it's saddens you that people can think that because you're not white, you've got some weird story and you're not the best. But at the same time, I can be more British than any other white counterpart.
0: You know, hardy you used a word a few minutes ago, intersectionality. That's one of the words of our time. And it pops up in a very popular book, Rennie Edo-Lodge, Why I'm No Longer Speaking to White People About Race. And she talks about, very movingly, about the experience of black people in the UK. You get this intersection between the politics of race, politics of gender, the politics of class. If I read Renny Edo-Lodge correctly, she seems to be saying that the only person who can talk about their experience of being black and feminist and working class is a black feminist working class person. I understand that, but isn't there a danger in saying that, that you build this wall of identity around you that is impermeable to other people, that you exclude other people from your debate and from your discussion?
1: Hmm. It's a very, very interesting point, Adrian. And I think we, we've all heard of, sort of the buzzword of our, our times, identity politics, which I think has very positive connotations it's not just about colour, it's about the other ways in which a person identifies and then receiving the dignity of that recognition and being able to speak of that experience and, and really have lived it and therefore feel that they have a valid voice that is heard. And I think that has come with all sorts of really positive developments in recent years. I think the other side of identity politics is something that you know, a lot of people will consider something a bit more divisive. Which is what you're saying that these like you know the notion of identity becomes very entrenched to a person to the point where then that identity then has to be rigorously defended. I would argue that we can see some of this in recent political developments, whether it's brexit or the election of Donald Trump in America. I think it's really interesting though that what underlines all of, all, all of these sorts of issues is the quest for meaning. So I think as people, as human beings, we're storytellers and we're story makers and we want to examine who we are, think about where we've come from, where we're going. We want to create a narrative of our own lives. It helps us to achieve some stability within ourselves. You know, if we can, we can define who we are and, and where we stand. So I think that is very important on a fundamental level to a lot of people. Francis Fukuyama describes uh, dignity as being very key to the notion of identity. You know, this is who I am. This is my experience. And I want that recognised. And I think there's an element of that which happened with people, you know, around the EU referendum, around the Trump election. I think in in the same way, people want to find meaning and they want their own experiences to be recognised. Of course, you then end up with people at different sides of the spectrum. I think the, the more philosophical thing underlying all of this is the search for belonging and identity and, and meaning. And I think it's about how do we navigate a path to keep going with the very best of sort of identity politics, if you like, and increasing representation and the understanding of in- intersectionality of different groups, which should continue. But in a way, as Fukuyama argues, that, that kind of concept has been, he calls it, hijacked by the right, which has then thought, well, you know, if there's a whole other group of people who feel that because other people have made strides in recent years, our we have been forgotten and that comes with its own identity issues. And um, so, yeah, it's it's really interesting. I think one of the things I would pick up on that Prithvi was talking about and his story about his rich, he's got a rich background and how he, you know, it's interesting to see how white people in Britain perceive him. But he's he's. Kind of got this whole immigrant story. I think one of the things that Michelle Obama has said in a documentary and elsewhere is that is a story, is our story, and we need to embrace that. So, in a way, people like me and Brooksby growing up might not think that us about our identities as immigrant children, as parents who speak in different languages, or have certain jobs in Britain when they were different people different countries that might not seem like a story but coming back to the need for narrative it is a story that story is interesting it is rich it is just as valid as you know anyone else's story is white people's varied stories we live in britain and i think it's about developing an understanding of that our lives matter is a way of trying to say those stories matter this thing about the generational fears is a, is part of mine and Brooklyn's story and instead of seeing that as something that's a bit of a taboo to discuss and kind of a bit of a you know a bit of a pathetic topic our parents have certain concerns you know no that's a that's something that's interesting and it's quite it runs it's deep it has roots that you know are interesting to explore and something we can all learn from so I think it's that.
0: Pruthvi, there's a phrase you might have heard, you've got to see it to be it. Now, leaving aside the politics of these individuals, when you see Priti Patel being Home Secretary, when you see Sajid Javid and then Rishi Sunak being Chancellor of the Exchequer from broadly similar backgrounds to yourself, when you see Faisal Islam presenting the economics report on BBC News, does that inspire you? Does that give you confidence to believe that you can make it on your own terms as someone of a South Asian background in the UK?
2: Yeah, definitely. For me, being you know a film geek, a, a creative, apart from politics, Gurinder chadda is my icon. You know, she speaks for me, her deep, and every other South Asian because all the films are relatable to everyone, even if they're white. You know, so it must have an effect on South Asians. Um, The recent film, Blinded by the Light, that that's literally a film about, you know, someone growing up in the 70s or 80s, like my parents and following their dreams, regardless of the fears their parents put in them because of the economic situation, the whole aspect of fitting in and standing out. She's done a great job in just showing who we are as British people and our story basically. So that really does inspire me. And not only that, Grinda Chadders, she has a story like anyone else that's South Asian. She comes, to, she's born in Kenya, she comes to the UK, and she just makes a living for herself.
1: And you've met her, haven't you, Prutfi? You that was one of the things you said in your article. You've actually interviewed her, haven't you?
2: Yes, I did meet Grinda Chadder briefly um, at her screening of Blinded by the Light. And then I sent an email out while I'm doing my little project at university saying, hey, what do you, you know, what do you like to be in my little feature about? Making it in the media rather than being represented by the media, and you know, within a few hours, she said yes, and I was like, "What?" You know, an A-list celebrity director just said yes to a little documentary by a student—that's amazing. And she, you know, I think it was something about supporting each other within the communities, in South Asian communities in the UK, rather than you know talking about yourself. So once we've got that support going on, when once we've got that conversation opening up about who we are and what we want to do and the fact that we can do it, it just becomes more fluid and, you know, open to everyone in the community that, yes, we can achieve the same things as other people. And, yes, it, as long as you put the hard working and, you know, as long as you, like, share your story, you, you'll you definitely get your gig.
0: Hardik, final thought to end on then, picking up what Pruthvi has just said. I don't propose at this stage in the conversation to get into the world of quotas but the politics of representation it's quite clear from what Pruthvi has said are massively important if you are from a minority background seeing other people who look like you even if you may not believe in their politics you may not agree with them but seeing people from your background in high profile positions is inspirational it does prove that you can do it
1: yeah i think I think it is important, so, as we've been saying, that fundamental layer of people from minority communities who want to do something more creative or something more out there, whether in politics or elsewhere, I think because that first layer is always the sort of the fear of doing something different and going off the beaten track or doing something very high powered. I think because of because that fear already exists, do so you already have that pressure. And that sort of first barrier, I think it is important, it's more important to have people that, yeah, you can sort of identify with on some level, because they are, they are there. I think I would say that it is important. Yeah, but, but I think it's about expressing the diversity of people's experiences. And I think one of the things that I would critique is coming back to the Priti Patel comments that... It is great to see ethnic minorities and Black people in positions of power, absolutely. But um, what we want to see is those people, when they get there, to have, to, have the humi- to have the empathy, to, you know, to recognize that other people from their backgrounds or communities will still have had a different experience and that they should use those positions to try to give a platform to those other people recognizing Uh, that that
0: there's a difference. Hardeep, thank you very much indeed. Byline Times editor, Hardeep Matharu, thank you. Thanks also to Pruthvi Kilosia. Really appreciate you listening to this podcast as well. And don't forget, if you've enjoyed it, there's loads more to enjoy on the Byline Times website and in our monthly newspaper. And don't forget, we dance to the tune of No Media Proprietor. This entire project is funded by you, our listeners and readers so please subscribe if you can subscriptions start from as little as 29 pounds a year you'll get more details on our website at bylinetimes.com that's bylinetimes.com thanks again for listening we'll see you soon